very grateful today to be on the phone with David Spangler. So on the uh, front page of his website, it says, Who is David Spangler? Since 1964, David Spangler has been an author and teacher of spirituality. He began his career at 19 as the keynote speaker at a national conference in Phoenix, Arizona. In 1970, he visited the Finthorn Foundation community in Northern Scotland, where he was invited to become its co-director and to be a teacher in residence. He lived in and worked in the Findhorn community until 1973, becoming the founder of his educational program. So I could say a lot about David Spangler, which is here in his biography, but I think I'll jump to say that in 1984, he founded the Lorian Association and moved to Issaquah, Washington, where he is today. David has written many books and is at the cutting edge of scientific and cultural transformation. So, David, um, I heard about you for the first time in, I think it was between 1974 and 1976, when I was lying around on somebody's bed in Tangiers. And I can't remember what book it was, but I do remember that when I read what you wrote, it, so to speak, put me in touch with my soul and gave me a lot of life force. So I want to go to the time when you were seven years old and you became aware of your soul for the first time near Casablanca. Yes. Um, Joanna, are you wanting me to tell that story, are you? Not really, but if you could just uh, perhaps speak about your connection with your soul. I see. Um, this was this happened when I was seven. Yes, you mentioned, and it was a totally unexpected experience. Uh, I was simply riding in the back seat of my parents' car, and suddenly went into this altered state, which ended up with a a, a kind of mystical union with um, with the soul. And at that point, I knew you know, why I had come into life. I experienced um, the, the, I guess you'd say, the process of, of incarnation. I recapitulated that process, and, and I remembered. I remembered who I was in that larger sense, and yet at the same time, I felt fully myself as a seven-year-old. So there was this, this interesting dichotomy, uh, kind of a split-level consciousness, um, like living in, a, in an, an apartment building that has two stories. Mm -hmm. And at the time, 
there was only so much of that material and that energy that I could absorb or take on as a seven-year-old. Um, so I was aware that there was this larger part of me, and I could access it. I've, ever since then, I've always been able to access it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it measured out its contact, you might say, uh, in ways that were appropriate to my age and my um, human understanding and the, the conditions in which I found myself. So, you know, I, I had a fairly normal childhood, mm-hmm. given that I was living overseas with my parents who were in the uh, United States military, and uh, and I'd always been aware of the subtle world. I'd been aware of non-physical beings, um, even prior to this experience when I was seven. Mm. So uh, that was just a normal part of my life, and I, I know that that's not always so for most people, but I think it is so for many more people than we might uh, recognize. So it, it, it was, um, it was a, an ongoing presence and relationship in my life that mm-hmm. of the, this uh, higher part of me, the second story self. Yes. And, um, <laughs> um, and then when I was 19, actually, it began to, to come forward more. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was 20, it had said, uh, here, it's time for you to start the work that, that you've come into life to do. So, so and, and uh, you know, I've been aware of it ever since. So it continues to be uh, a very deep partnership. How is the partnership between David Spangler and David Spangler's soul today? is embodied soul in my in my understanding and there's certainly a, a great energetic difference between the two states uh, there are things that, that well I should say there are characteristics and qualities that my soul has my second story self mm-hmm. has that I do not have at this level nor that matter could I have at this level and the reverse is true um, so it would be in some ways very difficult for the soul in its natural state to engage with the physical world in inappropriate and meaningful ways which is why I'm an incarnation and that would be true for for each of us mm-hmm. so I I, see, I really do see it as a partnership. Actually, I see it as two aspects of a single being, a single consciousness, but one is one aspect is functioning in, within a, a four-dimensional framework, mm-hmm. uh, Einsteinian space-time, mm-hmm. and the other is functioning in a hyper-dimensional framework outside of space-time. 
but but essentially it's still one being, and so I don't um, I don't really see, nor do I experience a fundamental um, ontological separation between soul and personality, or the the incarnate soul and the non-incarnate soul. They are just two aspects of a much larger um, wholeness. In your book, Subtle Worlds and Explorers Field Notes, you say at some point that you're a father and a teacher and a husband and a lover of games. So tell us if you wish about the about playfulness. Um, well, playfulness, oh my gosh. Um, playfulness to me is... Uh, a vital ingredient in in life itself, much less in a spiritual path, um, and it fulfills two different, or at least two different functions. Um, well, maybe I should put it this way: it doesn't have to fulfill any function at all, as far as that goes, because playfulness for me takes us outside the the bounds of utilitarianism. So I don't actually have to say, here's the reason to be playful, as, as if it had to have a reason. Mm-hmm. But having said that, um, playfulness uh, helps expand the boundaries of my life. It's, um, it helps me engage with, with the unexpected and with the, I guess you'd say, the elements of, of creative chaos. Um, which to me is very, are very important. It can be very restorative and, and recreational. That's what the word means, to recreate oneself. Uh, it certainly helps me in maintaining a good perspective and balance in my life. Um, and I'm kind of um, uh, blending the sense of humor in with a sense of playfulness um, it helps to balance and distribute um, the energies we work with and uh, keeps us from becoming too focused, overly focused. Um, I just think that it's, uh, that it's very important. And it's also a, mean of, a means of learning. Um, most organisms seem to have some form of play, and the play helps them gain skills and insights that become important in more serious aspects of their life. So, so um, things that I learn in my playfulness um, may become important skills in, in the not-so-playful parts of my life. But, um, but actually, to tell you the truth, I, I don't um, draw a, a sharp distinction for myself between the playful things and the not playful things. Um, Everything to me has an element of play and and likewise everything has an element of seriousness to it. So, David, after 50 years of looking inside and outside, 
what do you see today? What what is that engages you the most? Well, I think I, I think what engages me the most, Joanna, is um, finding ways that I can engage in in a helpful fashion with the with the human predicament, with the human condition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's, that's always been true for me, um, and it continues to be true. And at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's a little, it's like trying to find the, the balance, the balanced path mm-hmm. between, um, between sort of images of despair and and um, hopelessness on the one hand mm-hmm. and images of a kind of um, escapist optimism on the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, from my point of view, a lot of spiritual work... Um, pulls the individual out of embodiment and away from the incarnate state. Mm-hmm. But there's a great deal about the incarnate state that pulls us into limitation and into, um, oh, I guess I would say having, having blinkers, uh, not being able to see a whole picture. And it's finding that balance path between those two states that holds for me the best possibility and opportunity for gaining that that whole picture. Um, I have a I have a, a deep honoring and appreciation for the incarnate state, and much of my work has been to celebrate and and to focus upon that. And it comes directly out of that experience I had when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. Because the the recapitulation of my own process of incarnation had a profound effect upon me and gave me a certain um, perspective on why we come to this dimension and to this world and the love that lies behind that. So... My sense of spirituality is very um, earth-oriented, but at the same time, having this experience of the soul in what I think of as the higher order states or the hyper-dimensional states gives me a very powerful sense of, of the value and necessity to embrace the transpersonal as well. So how to bring those two together and and enable them to um, be collaborative, that to me has been the central issue that I've grappled with for the past 50 years. And, and it continues to be because when I look out at the world today, mm-hmm. and there's all the issues around environmental degradation and climate change and 
and the really the the collapse of complex systems of civilization. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that that we're not going to be able to deal with those issues either by trying to tackle them in piecemeal fashion or by trying to move to transcendental states uh, in ways that that may ignore them. Exactly. So, so that continues to be um, what engages me, and and I don't pretend to. I don't feel that I have found uh, you know anything like the answer. Mm-hmm. I keep um, muddling along on on a particular path as it opens up, and and uh, look for ways to make that path um, useful and hopefully helpful to others. Perhaps uh, my main question would be: How can you can you speak to us about how we can live in alliance and partnership with Gaia, the living Earth? Well, yes, at least in part, <laughs> I can. Yes. Um, for me, it all comes down to um, understanding my my individuality. Mm-hmm. The reason I, I put it that way is because it's, it's through this individuality that I connect with the world. And the world, you know, when I think of what is Gaia, uh, yes, I, Gaia can have a a planetary uh, meaning, but in fact, that's not the level at which I initially connect with it. Uh, what I connect with are the the specifics of Gaia, the specific trees and plants and animals and the specific air and the specific water that's mm-hmm. in my local environment. That's, mm-hmm that I engage with on a daily basis. It's, it's the specific people that I encounter. And every one of these specific beings, from the tiniest pebble to, to my next door neighbor to the maple tree in my backyard, has its own web of connection. So it's exactly like that, that game that people used to play, uh, and probably still play, uh, the six degrees of separation, yes. or um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that that we are only five or six degrees of separation uh, removed from any other person on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that to me is actually a very profound image of, of the way the whole biosphere, and indeed the way in which Gaia itself is structured, so that the maple tree in my backyard is connected to other local trees and to maple trees in general and to the soil and to the wind and, and to the nearby mountains, and they in turn are connected 
to other things and to the oceans. And, and in my backyard, I could find points of connection with literally any place on Earth. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but my backyard is a very specific locality. And for me to connect with it, I do so through my specificity, through my individuality. It's how, it's not really how David as a soul, as a transpersonal being, connects with the world, because I'm assuming my soul doesn't have a lot of problem doing that. Mm-hmm. But, but at, at this level of maple trees and, and pebbles and crows, and all the specificities of which the world is created, um, it's our specificity that is the tool that we have for connecting and configuring with these things. So, so partly for me it comes down to honoring and loving and appreciating myself, the really not so much, well, yes, David Spangler, but, but really the phenomenon of being an individual self, of having this, uh, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not an abstract cloud uh, containing all possibilities. I'm, I'm a very specific entity. And so that starts there for me, and then what, how can this specificity that is mine mm-hmm connect with and collaborate with the specificity that's the main and and other things. Well, you use a word that I really, really like, and it's holopoesis. Yes. So, wholeness, wholeness, holopoesis. Holopoesis a word I coined to talk about the, the art or the impulse of producing wholeness, of creating wholeness. And wholeness to me is not a static state, but it is a state of connectedness and engagement that allows something new and greater to emerge. Uh, something that honors all the contributing elements, and yet at the same time allows something greater to emerge. So what's the, what's the wholeness between me and my maple tree? Mm. Um, it really could manifest in a, in a variety of ways, from uh, the, the love I have for this specific tree and the things I do to care for it and the shade it provides me and the the beauty it provides me, but also, as I say, it, it provides as well this connection point into the, the larger domain of the world and of Gaia. And there's something else about this that's important, and that is, in my relationship with my maple tree, I am generating information because I'm seeing this tree in a particular way based on my unique perspective. If you come into my backyard and, and you see and relate to my maple tree, mm-hmm. 
you will see it differently. It may not be a lot of difference, or it could be a lot of difference, but the point is that, that a different set of information will be generated. So now the world is richer. Now the world has two sets of information about this maple tree. And when my wife comes in the backyard, she will be a third set, and so on and so forth. Because each of us is, is different, when we interact together, we give birth to new information mm -hmm. that potentially can be very enriching and energizing within the world as a whole. Um, in, in cybernetics, in fact, information is defined as the difference that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. So if you and I see the maple tree and we just say it's a tree and we don't see any difference from your perspective compared to my perspective, that we really have gained no information. But if you see something I don't see and I see something you don't see and we share that, mm -hmm. we have both experienced a difference that makes a difference. We have given birth to new insights that neither of us could have come upon on our own. Mm -hmm. so, there, so there's an enrichment of consciousness that's possible and it happens because you and I are different because the maple tree is different from us and so on and so forth. So, so for me, part of the connection with, with Gaia, part of what we're called to do mm -hmm. is to use this platform of individual perspective that we're given as a place from which to generate new insight and wisdom and energy that can enrich the, the whole field of consciousness that makes up uh, this world. So that brings me to speak with you about language. So we are sharing this information and I want to say that uh, we've established that the maple tree in your backyard is six degrees or five degrees of separation from the cottonwoods that I have relationship here. So come back around. What, how can we use language in a way that we can tell these stories to each other in a way that, in a way that, um, restores wholeness? Um, I have to think about that. I'm, I'm not sure that I... I apologize, but I'm not sure that I wholly get grasp the, the question here. Okay, so what I'm, uh, what I'm... I'm asking you to speak to us about language. Huh? Yes, and about how we can use language in a way that connects us, that, um, that is not about divide and conquer, that is not about, like you mentioned in your book, killing the ego, using language in a way that connects us and creates us. Uh, 
think there's, there are different things that one can do. Um, I want to be aware of how language can, in fact, um, divide and separate, particularly when it uses um, violent terms. Uh, so, so having some awareness of, of nonviolent language, to me, is very important. Um, I don't want to be, here's a paradox here, I don't want to be terribly um, attached to language, but yet I want to try to be as precise as I can be and honor the language that I use. But if you're, if you're talking to me about your cottonwoods and I'm telling you about my maple tree, mm -hmm. um, I, I cannot convey in, in words the fullness of what I experience with my maple tree. And chances are you may not be able to do that with your cottonwoods, even though I know Joanna, that you have the skills of a poet. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, but there's always something that's left unsaid. And, and the best use of language, I feel, is that it, it opens a portal to allow that subtle transmission of what otherwise remains unsaid. I mean, I, that really is, for me, part of the power of poetry, is that it it uses language in a way that uh, expands beyond the language itself, even though the language itself may be quite beautiful mm -hmm. and, and skillfully crafted. But you're taken into a larger place beyond just what the words are, are describing. And I, I think in order to do that, for that to happen, I... I, I need to want to go to that larger place. Mm. And for me, that's an act of lovingness. Mm. Um, because when you tell me about your cottonwoods, yeah. in effect, you're inviting me into yourself and into your world, your local world, certainly. Mm -hmm. and, and at some point, I have to decide in myself, I want to go there. That's right. Because if I don't, <laughs> then then your words, however skillful, uh, I will simply use them as a, a closed gate rather than an open gate, and and I can use my words that way. So, so in some ways, even before we begin to speak to each other or try to describe things. There's this act of willingness, this act of lovingness that says, um, I'm going to be open to this person, and my words will, to the best of my ability, arise out of that willingness to be open. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, then, about openness and willingness with non-physical beings.
For instance, you speak about a non-physical being called John. So um, how do we find intimacy? How did you find intimacy with non-physical beings? I think I want to make a distinction here between uh, a being that's non-physical and between, no, how do I want to say that? I want to make a distinction between the state of being non-physical and the state of being embodied. I should, maybe I should say the state of being physical and the state of being embodied. So I was a physical being and John was a non-physical being. Mm-hmm. And that obviously creates certain problems between us. I used to describe John in lectures as my friend who had a birth defect, that he had been born without a body. Uh-huh. And from John's point of view and from my point of view, you know, uh, that imposes definite limitations in his ability to communicate with and engage with the physical world and, and vice versa. But John and I were both embodied beings because he had he had a body of his own. Mm-hmm. It simply was not of a substance or of a, a vibratory frequency that matched the physical world. But as an embodied being, John had specificity. And it might be a much more, a much, how do I want to say this, a much looser specificity than I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's boundaries were in, in, in some ways more permeable than mine. Yes. But there's still specificity there. Uh, John was distinguishable to me from, say, the general background radiation of spirit, or he was distinguishable from other non-physical beings. He, he was a, a unique entity. I mean, he, 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 was, uh, he was himself. And it's in the exchange of that specificity that for me at least, intimacy arose. John, um, when John and I would work together, uh, he would, almost in a kind of reverse spiritualism, rather than, rather than him uh, entering my body, in a way he would draw me into his. Uh, my subtle fields would be taken up into into his body, which was a profoundly intimate act, mm-hmm. because in that moment, his identity and mine would penetrate and merge in a very deep way, and the way that we would communicate was not really through words mm-hmm. most of the time. There were times when he used words, mm-hmm. uh, but most of the time it was to a kind of induction of, of beingness. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little hard to describe, but, 
but it's as if he was a liquid being and there are parts of me that were liquid and he could set a wave moving in his body and that wave would replicate in my own and it would carry information it would carry meaning it would have a it would have an effect on my uh, nervous system and my uh, my own embodied state and out of that effect meaning would come mm-hmm. um, it wasn't exactly telepathic although there was there could be and there were at times telepathic elements it was it was actually more intimate than that what made it intimate was that for me mm-hmm. was that my individuality my the specificity of who I am had to do something had to change in some way to configure to his own so that that meant being very vulnerable to each other and and trusting each other mm-hmm. and and I you know when when I feel when I experience intimacy with my wife not just sexually but but just in an emotional and mental way it's a very similar experience mm-hmm. that it's not that we're um, not so much an issue of closeness as it is an issue of the willingness to to change in order to engage someone else's difference and in that engagement to become something else yourself so that a, a, a merging can take place and and that was exactly what I had to do with John and it's often what I need to do with uh, certain kinds of non-physical beings. Um, I just—it's just been my personal experience mm-hmm. that um, how should I put this? The higher a being is, the more the more spiritual it is, the more intimate its contact is. Will you use the? the uh, image of water and uh, what I got when you spoke about your wife or spoke about John is a pouring into each other. Yes, very much so. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. See, that is your poetic imagination. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Well, it's fun when we can pour into each other. It's a lot of fun. Yes, it is. David, uh, would you like to talk about Lorian and um, the sacredness of incarnation? Would you like to talk about your work, your website? I'd be happy to. Um, um, the Lorian Association uh, was founded uh, back in 1974 by a group of us that initially came together at Finhorn and became friends and co-workers. And when we left that community and returned to the United States, most of us, not all of us, were Americans, 
there was one gentleman from Yugoslavia and one gentleman from England and and uh, and a lady from Canada, Dorothy McLean, mm -hmm. one of the three founders of Finhorn. When we came back to North America, we said we want to continue to work together. So we created this nonprofit corporation, which has gone through a great many um, stages and changes over the years. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, there are essentially four or five of us who continue to act basically as its staff. But what we're doing is offering classes and uh, other educational items such as study modules and and uh, online lectures and books and things of that nature around what I call incarnational spirituality, which is basically the study of what is the, the spiritual nature of the incarnational process and of the embodied human being. Mm -hmm. And what are the spiritual resources that we have to work with as a result of being an incarnate embodied person? Mm -hmm. Very celebratory of the individual. Uh, at one time, in fact, I thought of calling it person-centered spirituality, but, but I felt that the image of incarnation was a little more embracing of what, what it is. Um, it's been developed really in collaboration with, uh, with non-physical colleagues. And it's very much a work in progress. It's kind of a, an ongoing research project. And, and whoever comes and takes part in the classes or, or in the programs, um, in a sense, becomes part of that research project <laughs> because what, what they bring to us in, in the exchange in a, in a classroom, and our classes are actually quite, um, they're, they're more like extended tutorials because mm -hmm. they're all conducted or mostly conducted online, and they, it gives an availability for a great deal of interaction over a period of days and weeks that would not be there if we were meeting face-to-face. -face. Mm -hmm. So a lot of exchange takes place in these classes, a lot of uh, uh, collaborative insight, and I consider everybody who takes part to be contributing to this ongoing research project. Uh, a number of years ago, John said to me, mm -hmm. this uh, non-physical colleague of mine, the problem with humanity is not that you are too incarnated, but that you're not incarnated enough. Right. And what he meant by that was just that we haven't yet mastered the art of fully engaging and connecting with the world in ways that create wholeness. Because mm -hmm. that was his definition of what incarnation is. It's the art of entering a particular environment and engaging with it in a way 
that creates wholeness. And so from, from the point of view of these inner colleagues, uh, humanity's challenge is that we're not quite here enough. Mm. It's not that we're not physical enough, but it's that in the fullness of our being, we're not uh, engaged with the world in such a way that, that it can create wholeness. Mm. So incarnational spirituality is, a, as I say, an ongoing educational and research project to explore how to be more deeply incarnated in the sense that John meant uh, more able to connect and engage and create wholeness both within oneself and with one's environment. Um, so I, you know, it, the way I see this is that uh, this is such an incredibly important time in human history. We're confronted with unprecedented challenges at a scale that uh, very few, if any, previous generations have had to deal with. Yes. And, and there's a great number of approaches and, and methodologies and avenues that have been opened up and are being opened up for us to explore in order to successfully make it through this period of history. I feel that there's a, a, a great deal of effort and help coming from the non-physical realms to partner with us and enable us to successfully navigate challenges that we're confronting. Yes. And for me, incarnational spirituality is one of those. It's not the only one, certainly, but it's one of those approaches, and it's the particular one that I and some other my colleagues uh, have undertaken as our task, our assignment. So Lorian is, broadly speaking, this nonprofit Corporation. It's technically a seminary, um, because that was the only category the IRS could figure out. <laughs> turned, out turned out actually to be a blessing, because we can, we can offer master's degrees, and we, can, we have a lot of freedom to do certain educational things, because we're a seminary, than we might have had otherwise. Uh-huh. And it's... Our overall mission is to promote wholeness, to help people promote wholeness. And the specific tool that we're using is incarnational spirituality. Um, And part of that wholeness is to be able to engage in new and collaborative and partnering ways with the subtle world, with the non-physical world. Because as far as the Earth is concerned, it has both physical and non-physical aspects. That is its mm-hmm. wholeness. Mm-hmm. And so, so we're exploring that as well. And the website offers various ways that people can connect with me and with the rest of us and with the work that we're doing. So, good people who listen to Future Primitive, to connect with... Um David and 
his collaborators go to Lorian L O R I A N dot org. So David, we're going to bring this wonderful for me conversation around. And um, so I wanted to ask you if you would like to speak for a couple of minutes about an article you wrote called The Second Ecology. Yes. Um, I was looking for a way. Now, maybe let me back up for a moment. The way, the lens through which most people I have found perceive or think about the non-physical world, the subtle world, is usually the lens of religion. Mm-hmm. And, and this lens tends to see things in a particular way, often very hierarchical, and often in a way that distances these inner worlds, these non-physical worlds, from our everyday, in, except as sources of guidance or direction, or as, as I say, um, just places. From my point of view, having grown up with an awareness of the non-physical side of the world, it's not so much a religious environment or, or phenomenon, it's, it's um, another aspect of life. It's, it's as much a part of the normal, organic nature of mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. as the forest or the mountains or, the, or any other ecology. It just simply happens to be existing in a different vibratory frequency. Well, mm-hmm. there's lots of things that exist in different vibratory frequencies. I don't see x-rays and I don't see uh, uh, microwaves and cosmic radiations, but we feel their effects. My cell phone works because of microwaves. And mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things, phenomena in nature that exist over a wide spectrum of, of energies. And in a sense, the, the non-physical worlds are simply an extension of that. And my experience of them has been that, that they represent this whole other half of the planetary ecology. So I might say the physical world is the first ecology, it's the one that is most apparent to us. And the non-physical world I call the second ecology because I wanted to convey that it's it's an environment filled with life, life of that every bit as diverse, in fact, even more diverse than the life that we experience here in the physical world. My approach to these realms has really been that of a naturalist. It hasn't been a particularly religious approach. Uh, I say that even while acknowledging that in my personal practice I have a very strong mystical bent and I have a strong sense of the sacred and, and, uh, 
And I consider that to be important, but it's not the same as working with the subtle worlds. So, for example, for me, um, a, a being that I might call an angel is is a, is a kind of species. It's not necessarily a being with religious significance as much as it is a non-physical life form that has certain capacities and capabilities and tasks, mm -hmm. some of which could be given a religious interpretation, but it doesn't have to. It's a, right. it's a unique and powerful and important form of consciousness in life all in its own. And if I approach the subtle world with this attitude of being a naturalist, that it's, it's simply this larger ecology, it takes away some of the distancing that a purely religious point of view might give it. It takes away some of the glamour, mm -hmm. and it allows me to deal with it in a more natural and organic way, the same as I would deal with my backyard or my front yard or the, or the park down the road or the wilderness in the mountains that's a few miles away. Yes. So it, it just helps me see the non-physical world not as a strange and alien phenomenon, but as part of the living world, another ecology in which life and consciousness are manifesting. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to thank you with all my heart for this beautiful, beautiful conversation. And um, would you like to say something in closing? Well, Joanna, I, I just want to thank you and thank you very much and <laughs> thank you for your persistence in getting <laughs> this about. <laughs> and I have, I have very much enjoyed it as well. And, and just, I just send my blessings to all your listeners. Thank and you. Whoever listens to this podcast, blessings be with you. Thank you so much. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoyed these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making your own tax-deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.